If you're glad you're a child of God, let me hear your hands this morning. My wife looked at me yesterday morning as we were having morning coffee and said, Christmas is six months away. I did not need to hear that. Was not how I needed to start my day. It just seems like this year is flying by. Not sure why it feels that way, but it does. This is the last Sunday of June, and next Sunday begins our summer family fun days. And so the video, yeah, then we're going to have a great time together. And the reason for the video is I didn't want you to misunderstand family. Family isn't talking about your biological family. We're all part of the family of God. And we have something for all ages, from the little ones to the older ones, and that's called food. So we'll have inflatables and food and a fun time together um, before, uh, after first service, before second service, and after second service, the trucks will be out there. We have activities. We also have a guest speaker coming in the middle of the month that will encourage you. Just want to make it a great time together. So invite your friends, plan to come, grab a little food. And uh, July is a great time for us to just kind of celebrate our relationships to each other and to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let's plan on that and be a part of that. Well, this is our last Sunday on our Resilient series, What It Takes to Be a Resilient Church. And we started off talking about if you're going to be resilient, you have to get out of your life things that aren't resilient. When God begins to move... Your nets will be strained, your boats will begin to sink, your bottles will burst, and you might even need a new set of clothes. Nets, boats, bottles, and rags. Get those inflexible things out of the way. Then we talked about an outward focus, about generosity and vision, and this morning we're going to talk about a subject that actually came through the team as I asked them for ideas. Pastor Justin said, I think you need to include grit. And I thought, grit, that's just a, what is that? That's a kind of a slang word we use, and then discovered, no, there actually, there have actually been studies done on the concept of grit. It's an actual thing to have grit. I think it'd be best characterized by a line that's been attributed to the military, particularly to the Marines, but actually shows up first in a French novel in 1873 when the a political leader responds to a woman by saying, if it is difficult, it is done. If it is impossible, it will be done. The way that gets interpreted in our language is that the difficult is done immediately. The impossible just takes longer. And I'm wired in such a way that I, I hate to be told something can't be done. It can be. It may be too expensive, more than we want to pay. It may not make sense. It may be extremely difficult, but it can be. It can be, and grit is a mindset that says it will be done. Website called Desiring God defines it this way, the relentless resolve, what is grit? The relentless resolve to keep pursuing a desired goal and not giving up. Steadfastness plus endurance. Steadfastness is the determination to remain at your post, come what may. Endurance is the determination to keep moving forward toward your desired goals despite challenges and weariness. It's a commitment to getting the job done. 
I listened to a TED Talk by Angela Lee Duckworth who talked about grit, and she talked about it from a business perspective. She was in the business world and wanted to do something that she felt would be more meaningful, became a teacher of seventh graders, and then after a period of time went back to school to become a psychologist. I think the seventh graders drove her to that, that new ministry. And she said this, I found this fascinating. She said, I started studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, my question was, who is successful here and why? My research team went to West Point Military Academy. We tried to predict which cadets would stay in the military and which ones would drop out. Then we went to a national spelling bee contest and tried to predict which children would advance furthest in competition. We studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here in teaching by the end of the school year and those who will be most effective in improving learning outcomes for their students. We partnered with private companies asking which of these salespeople is going to keep their jobs? Who's going to earn the most money? In all of those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as the significant predictor of success. Now, we're talking about military, students, business, all kinds of factors. In the study, what was the single most important predictor of who would be successful? She said it wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks. It wasn't physical health. It was not your IQ. It simply was grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for the very long term. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make sure that future is a reality. Grit is living life like a marathon, not like a sprint. And then she goes on one more statement. A few years ago, I started studying grit in the Chicago public school system. I asked thousands of high school juniors to take grit questionnaires and then waited around a year to see who would graduate. Turns out that the grittier kids were significantly more likely to graduate even when I matched them on every characteristic I could measure like family income, standardized achievement test scores, how safe kids felt when they were in school, all the things we've heard that, that contribute to a successful graduation rate. So it was not just at West Point or the National Spelling Bee that grit matters, it matters in school, especially kids at risk of dropping out. What is the measure of success? It's grit, passion, and perseverance. And what the church today needs are not more cupcakes and snowflakes that melt at the slightest uh, sign of difficulty, but rather say, I'm in this for the long haul, and whatever happens, I'm going to make it, I'm going to persevere, I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to quit. Years ago, we talked about preachers who had to tiptoe through the tithers. Because it's so easy for a person to say, well, I'll not go to church here. I'll go somewhere else I want to go. Or I'll give up on my pursuit of God and do some other thing. Or I'll change my values. Another example would be I've watched over the years that grandparents begin to adore, endorse what they preached against when they're young, when their grandparent, grandchildren start doing it. 
there's something about a continuity, about a perseverance and a passion over the long haul to not give up. If you're going to be resilient and hit the storm and rise above the storm and fly higher afterwards, you got to have a little bit of grit. Somebody should have said amen right there. I know, Pastor, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're one of those baby boomers. You're getting old. Well, I'll tell you what, Gen Zer. You need to get a little juice. You need to stand up and do something and have a little grit and determination that you're not going to fall by the wayside when the first little adversary or obstacle comes your way, that we are overcomers when we win battles, not when we see them. We are triumphant when we conquer the enemy, not when we identify him. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're to be engaged in the battle of faith. And scripture does not say the ones who hope to the end will be saved, but the ones that endure to the end shall be saved. Is there anyone in the house right now? I'm talking about some determination that'll get you through the battle. And I want to tell you what the components of that are from my perspective and study that I've done. Number one, if you're going to have grit, you need a resolute focus. You need a resolute focus. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, it's a messianic psalm, says this, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Now, in its context, is clearly prophesying of Jesus on his way to the cross. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The English Standard Version says it this way, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Knowing what he would face, knowing the price he would have to pay, knowing how difficult the road would be, he didn't back up and weary from it or try to find another way out. You know what he did? He leaned into the wind. He ran to the roar. He set his face like a flint. There was a fire in his eye and steel in his backbone that said, it may be tough, but I am not going to be disgraced. I am not going to be ashamed. I've set my face like a flint and I'll fight this battle like I fought all the others to the glory of God and I will not be ashamed. Grit is a mindset, a face, a focus that says I will not be dissuaded from what I believe and have set my mind to. We need in this generation a forward focus. It's just so easy. I'm getting... That wasn't tongues. That was frustration. I get frustrated with how easy it is to say, I can't do it. It can't be done. My dad taught me something as a kid. You've heard me tell this before, but it affected me in so many areas. Sixth grade, a bully chased me home. I'm crying. My dad comes out, why are you crying? A bully chased me home, dad. And he said, well, here's what I want you to know. The next time a bully chases you home, I will whip you. Pilchers don't run from bullies. 
this and this go in front of your face and you hit him first. Now, I'm not recommending that. But my dad was trying to instill in me some backbone, some courage, some strength that said, you don't run from the obstacle. You face it head on. You set your face like a flint. This isn't going to happen again. I am not going to bow to that. I'm determined to move forward in the face of adversity. And even in the face of prosperity, I'll keep moving forward. Paul writes it this way. Brothers, I do not count myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We must set our faces like a flint. We will get through this and we will move forward. And there's no room in the kingdom for you to not focus on what's ahead of you and challenge that devil, challenge that problem, challenge that attack, challenge that obstacle and drive through it so that God will be glorified. Is there anyone in the house this morning? Jesus set his face like a flint. Yes, I know he prayed in the garden. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then he set his face to go to the cross. Set your face like a flint. I am going to challenge what is ahead of me. Second, we need a redeemed kind of faith. We need a redeemed faith. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, it talks about Abraham as the father of the faithful. And here's what it says about him. Now, you remember what God had told Abraham? Anybody? He was going to have a child, an offspring. And he is old. And his wife is long past childbearing years. Now, he did try to solve it in his own strength, and that created a problem that we're still dealing with in the Middle East today. But if you look at what his heart was, he was trying to find a solution, but where was he in regard to the promise? He did not waver through unbelief. He believed it was going to happen. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Abraham's faith was imputed to him for righteousness. And what was that faith? He believed that God could do what God said he was going to do. Now, if you doubt after that, you're doubting God's integrity. But Abraham thought, I know God, and I know that he will not make an idle promise. I know that he will not tell me he'll do something that he can't do. I can promise you a lot of things that I can't perform. Tragedy. Who hasn't followed the tragedy of the sub going down to see the Titanic? A promise was made that they weren't able to perform. God has the power to do what he says he's going to do. 
The key is you have to know what he said he's going to do. But once you've heard that, Abraham didn't struggle with whether God had the ability. And I listen to Christians today, well, I just don't know about God, and I don't know if he can. I don't know. God has the power to do whatever he said he's going to do. He said he'll be with you in temptation and give you the strength to overcome or a way to escape. He will provide everything that you need for happiness and joy in the Holy Spirit. He has the power to do what he said he was going to do it starts with knowing what he's promised so why do you call it a redeemed faith do you know there are all kinds of faith in this world i just did a list of the kinds of faith we talk about that scripture talks about that people write about and the list went on and on we could talk about blind faith we could talk about irrational faith we could talk about historic faith based on what you've experienced in the past, an intellectual faith, great faith, little faith, saving faith, the gift of faith, faithfulness. But when you go through all of those, I want you to see there's a distinction between natural faith and supernatural faith. You have an ability to have faith apart from your relationship to God. How many of you believed that you would get here to church this morning without being killed in a car accident? Let me see your hands. Okay, the rest of you are really depressed. I wasn't sure. I thought I was going to die on the way. Well, we're glad you made it. <laughs> How many of you came in this building with no fear that the building was going to collapse on you before you got out? Yeah, some of you, I wouldn't raise my hand either. It's a natural faith. It's based on history. It's based on intellect. It's based on our ability to trust. There are just certain things we believe. I mean, you want faith? You're driving down a two-lane blacktop road in Iowa at at least 55 miles an hour. And there's another missile of metal coming toward you at 55 miles an hour with a couple feet between you. And you believe when they come by and you go by, both of you have faith that there's not a moron driving that other vehicle that has a death wish and wants to commit suicide, that they're just going to pass you by. You operate in faith all of the time to exist in this world. But there is another dimension of faith. It's a redeemed faith that isn't based on your experience or what you think or what you know, but it's rather based on the promise of God and a relationship with him. I don't believe that he has power just because I read it in his word. I believe that he has power because I experienced it in my life in moments when I needed him to be there and he spoke his word to me in every time and in every case he did exactly what he said and he was there to sustain me through the problem and provide a way of escape I'm telling you we need a faith that rises above the natural and dwells in the supernatural That'll give you resilience because there are times when it won't make sense. It won't make sense to do what Scripture says. But this I'm persuaded, that when you put faith in his power, his promise will come to pass. We need a redeemed faith. It must come from a redeemed heart. And there are times that God will give you a gift of faith that is a supernatural ability to be able to believe that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Grit requires faith that comes from being redeemed. A resolute faith, a redeemed faith. Third, 
a refusal to retreat that's different than a forward focus. It's a commitment to not back up. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, now the just shall live by faith. Now listen to this. This is what God is saying. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those that draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now that's Hebrews chapter 11, and we quote it all the time, but if you read the context ahead of that, that, that definition of faith comes from those who say backing up is not an option. Backing up is not an option. I will not retreat. It's a stance that guards against retreat. If you study the um, soldiers in their army in Jesus' day, we talk about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, loins girt about with truth, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. And those sandals that the warriors would have worn had spikes in the bottom of their sandals. And it wasn't so that they could run faster forward, it's so they could set those in the ground and would never retreat. They would hold their ground. There may be times that I'm not moving forward, but my face is still set as a flint. I still believe that God has power. And one thing I'm certain of is I'm not backing up. I'm not backing up. The Bible is filled with men and women of God who said, we will not retreat. We will not back up. David had a number of men that are called the mighty men of David. And they did some amazing things. And there are three that rise to the top of David's mighty men. And I want you to meet them and hear a little bit about them this morning. These are the names of David's mighty men. It's in 2 Samuel 23. Josheb was chief of the three. What did he do? He raised his spear against 800 men and killed them all in one encounter. Someone at church didn't shake my hand. I waved and they didn't wave back. The coffee wasn't hot. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? 800 men, one spear. What do you call that? I call that grit. That's what I call that. I've set my face. I may die in this spot, but I'm not moving back. And he took his spear and understood the promise of God. That's not natural, that's supernatural. And the battles in the Old Testament and the natural are pictures of what happened in the spiritual today. It's a different economy under God, but he faced them in an impossible situation that you could not win in the natural, but he won against 800 ungodly Philistines with one spear because he would not back up. And he fought the battle and won the battle. Next to him was Eleazar. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered for battle. The men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground. What a picture. Woo, we're out of here. 
Oh, have you ever been there? I've got your back. Got your back, pastor. Way back. I love to tease Pastor Kevin about this. And uh, it's one of my favorite Pastor Kevin stories. On a Wednesday night, a guy walks into my office before Bible study and programs, and he said, Pastor, he's been coming for a little while. I knew him by face. I've got to show you something right now. Oh, what is, no, right now. You've got to come with me right now. Well, I don't know what's going on, and so, sure, I'll go with you. And, and we walk up the stairs. We go out the back of the BSC exit, and we're walking out to that south parking lot, and we're standing there, and it's already starting to get dark. And he said to me, where are all the stars? I said, they're there. It's called light pollution. Go out in the country and you'll see them all. The fact that you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. He said, oh no, you're wrong. The government has collected them all. I'm out there with a lunatic alone. And I had seen Pastor Kevin get up and follow me, but he stopped at the door. And we're at the parking lot. And I said, no, the government doesn't have the capacity to steal the stars. And then he said, see that black thing in the sky? And there was something up there. He said, that's a satellite. They follow me everywhere I go. And I said, you need mental help. You really do. You need to see somebody. You, you're damaged. And I thought, that probably wasn't the most intelligent thing to do at that moment. And he got mad and stomped off and drove away. And I stood there and Pastor Kevin's at the door. And I said, why did you stop at the door? I love the rationale. Why did you stop at the door? He said, well, I thought, number one, if you need help, I have long legs. I can be there in three strides. Number two, if you turn and run, someone needs to open the door. And number three, I thought, there is no reason for two pastors to die tonight. <laughs> Some people have your back, but it's way back. All of the Israelites withdrew, but there was one man who stood there. His name was Eleazar and said, I will not retreat. I will hold my ground. And he stood the ground, struck down the Philistines. The Bible says, till his hand claved to the sword. And that word means he swung it again and again until it became so tired that it cramped and held to the sword and became one with the sword. I don't know if you've ever worked hard enough to have that happen, but if you work hard enough, you'll have time that your hand will cleave to the object or tool you're using. And even though he grew tired, his hand froze to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory because even though he was tired and even though his hand cramped and even though he's outnumbered and they all retreated, he said, I will not back up. Yes. Come on, someone help me this morning. The third was like the previous two. Next one was Shammah. The Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them. So again, it's a bean field. It's just a bean field. 
Bean fields don't matter, do they? Yes, they do. If that's the plot of God and those beans belong to God, this is no longer a matter of economics or of a harvest. It's this is God's field and you're not taking God's field. And while everyone else withdrew, he stood his ground. Shema took his stand in the middle of the field and defended it and struck the Philistines down and brought about a great victory. Listen, I'm telling you, there's one mark of the mighty men of scripture and the mark that you'll see is grit that demonstrates itself in a way that says I will not retreat I will not quit I will not move backward because God says he takes no pleasure in people that back up will not retreat number four reliance on the divine and this is incredibly important you know the story Isaiah chapter 49, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Yes, we will get weary in battle. Yes, life is hard. Yes, it seems at times that quitting is a good option. And we're talking about this also in regard with New Life Center that will be joining us in this sermon. And it would be easy for everybody there to quit and just say it isn't worth it. When we came 13 years ago, there are people who said it just isn't worth it and went the other way. Yes, there are times that you ask yourself, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth paying the price. I'm tired and I don't know that I can go on. And there are times where you will be at the end of your strength. You'll be at the end of your power. You'll be at the end of your ability. What do you do then? You don't, I believe in vacations and time off and all of that, but I'll tell you there's one thing that will sustain your spirit. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Are you hearing me this morning? You need a reliance upon the divine. When I run out of strength, he's got more to offer. When I run out of motivation, he's got more to supply. When I don't know which way to go, he's got a direction for me. They that wait on the Lord. And I did a little more study on that word wait. It's a really interesting one. It's one that means to bind together. It means to connect together. In 1992, some of you'll remember, some of you weren't born yet. Olympics in Barcelona. Derek Redman was running the 400 meter semifinal when his hamstring locked up and he fell to the ground. His father was in the stands and jumped over the rail. People didn't know who he was and tried to stop him. And he ran to his son on the track and said, son, you've done enough. Let's just get you off the field. And he said, dad, no, not a chance. I came here to run a race and I'm gonna finish this race and you can help me or not help me. And you'll remember that awesome picture when the, when the race runner puts his arm around his father and hops to the end. He said, I'm not stopping. I'm gonna need your strength to finish. I'm gonna need your shoulder to lean on, but I'm not stopping. And I'm telling you, when you fall in the race, when you feel like you don't have any more to give, your your heavenly father is on the other side of the rail and he will run to you and you can put your arm around him and he'll carry you to the finish line. We are not 
going to quit. We're going to keep pressing on with the reliance on the divine. You don't have enough to do it. You don't have the strength to carry on. There are times you're going to want to quit. There are times you'll cry alone in the night, but here's what I know. If you get tangled up with Jesus, you wait on him and in his presence till you become one with him. His strength will become your strength and you will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. You will soar with wings as eagles because it's his strength that will carry you to the finish line. A reliance on the divine. And last, a retention of purpose. A retention of purpose is what grit is about. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that those who run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? How many know that? How many of you know there's only one gold medalist? Did the mic go dead? How many of you know there's only one gold medalist? Paul uses that analogy to say only one wins the prize. So what does he say? Oh, so don't worry about winning? That's not at all what he says. You run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. He's saying if you're going to run, run in order to win. Now that doesn't say in regard to other people, but to win the race and run it with the intention of giving everything you can to win. I know this doesn't set well with people, and I know I'm from an older school. But I believe if you're going to compete, you ought to try to win or go sit down. I've said to people over and over, I've tried winning and I've tried losing, and I like winning better. And if you like losing, I would love to compete with you. Does, does your Christian race look like somebody who wants to win or someone who's out taking a stroll? Our son ran cross country, and I loved this picture. It was just phenomenal. Um, all the kids had run. They're coming in. They're getting their times. Thought they were all in. They've taken down the the. the the whatever you call the time readers turned in their chips and then I look out and down around the corner you can see this kid um let's just say it this way he definitely wasn't built to be a long distance runner he was built for comfort anybody follow me and when he turned the corner he I can see him through the trees he's not running to win Hello. And he came around the corner. He saw there's still people looking. So then he starts to run. <laughs> and people applauded. And I wanted to yell, don't clap. Don't clap. I'm glad he finished. But he's not running to win. 
He might be there on probation. I don't know if they assigned him to that, why he's there, but he's certainly not running to win. There's no room in the kingdom for slackers, for people who are just out for a stroll. If you're gonna do it, give it your best. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing with your strength. Whatever your hand finds to do with all your might, run in order to win. Win the race, run in order to win. I... um. <laughs> I don't know if we, do we have any AGT fans? Anybody that just loves AGT? Few, go ahead. No, it's okay. A few people won't admit that. I am, um, my favorite part of the people that shouldn't even be on there. It's hilarious. But I love the question when they come out. Often they'll say, do you believe you have what it takes to win this competition? And the ones who are going to do well will always say, I believe so. Because if you don't believe you have the capacity to win the competition, then go back home. Because this isn't an evaluation program, it's a competitive program. How many are hearing what I'm saying? The devil wants to defeat you. He wants to stop you in the journey. He wants to keep you from succeeding. But we have to determine that we are going to run and run to win. Some of you may also have seen this race, Dutch Olympic star. Um, Sifan Hassan competed a remarkable recovery, a recovery to win her heat in the women's, the women's 1500 meter run in Tokyo. She fell with just 380 meters to go on the 1500. A runner in front of her tripped and fell and she tripped over that runner. Her goal was to win the 500, the 1,000, the 1,500, to win gold in all three that had never been done. And it looked like her chance to progress was over because she fell on the track with 380 meters to go. What did she do? She got up and she started to run and she caught the other runners and won the race because she said, I came here to win the gold and I'm not gonna lay on the track because I tripped. I'm gonna continue to run. She said, or not she said, Gary Gottlieb, who's a commentator, wrote about that and posted on Twitter. Everyone gets knocked down. The question is who gets back up? Now I'd say that's not sufficient. Everyone gets knocked down. The question isn't who gets back up, but who gets back up with the intention of winning. That obstacle doesn't change my purpose. That falling doesn't change my goal. And it doesn't matter what gets in the way, but I have a purpose. My purpose is I wanna hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. My purpose is I wanna run the race with patience. My purpose is I wanna honor the Lord who redeemed me. And I'm gonna keep running with that purpose in mind. This isn't about human success or human accolades or plaques on the wall or trophies on the shelf. It's about honoring the God who called us and called us to serve. Everyone gets knocked down. What's it gonna take for you to be resilient? It's gonna take some grit. It's something, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I just, I, I'm gonna rewind. 
Yeah, I'm still going to say it. If there's anything that wears me out, it's wimpy believers. Every little thing pushes them back. Do you know that Jesus was in heaven forever before he came? And he put on human flesh and died on a cross? And the book of Hebrews tells us to run with patience the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set on the right hand of the Father, consider him, because you've not had to pay that price. So I don't know why this dropped into my heart. I wanted to just say, yes, let's all run now. Let's all commit ourselves to grit. But I'll tell you, you won't get grit without getting a little bit of a challenge thrown your way. And I just wonder if there's somebody in the house this morning watching online in the chapel that you're giving consideration to quitting and turning back. Don't. 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 I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. But I just felt God last night grab a hold of my heart. There's somebody in the house whose spiritual life is on the line and you've been thinking about turning back. It just isn't worth it. And it might not be your faith. It might be something in your family. It might be your marriage. It might be something else. But God's had his hand on you all through this service that you're thinking of quitting and turning back. And God is saying, don't. Get some grit. Develop some resilience and fight through. And if that's you this morning with no one looking around, this is a private moment. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want this to be a moment of change for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm going to wait a moment. God, yes, thank you. God's moving in the house. God's moving in the house. Anyone else this morning? God is sending you a bulletin from the throne room saying, I will be with you, and I will strengthen you, empower you, and I will go with you. Just don't turn back. I have a victory ahead for you. And if you'll grab hold of that promise, he'll lead you all the way through to victory. So I'm going to ask us to stand. And as Stacy leads us in a song, I want you to let God stir up some grit on the inside of you. Would you stand with me, please? Walking around these walls.
I pray right now for those who responded this morning that your strength would become their strength this morning. That there would be a fresh new commitment to follow you through the storm, through the trial. That we would not draw back, that none of us would draw back. We'd set our face like a flint and continue to move forward. Let your strength be our strength, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen. Give it up for Jesus this morning. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. I want to be resilient. I want to hit the storm and come through the other side stronger. If you're going to do that, you're going to need a little grit. Shake someone's hand and encourage them to be gritty. Amen. God bless.